Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. Startup CPG is a launchpad and community for small brands. We host interactive events and serve as a resource for insights and expertise to build a brand that's better for people and better for the planet. On today's episode, we talk all things operations. This is really an Ops 101 primer. What's important when building your business from the ground up to consider when you're thinking through your ops strategy? What I love teaching is the simplicity of this business. I'm not saying it's easy, because it's not easy. It takes a lot of drive, takes a lot of tenacity, adaptation. It doesn't need to be as complicated as you think. I have on today's episode, John Shiroli, who has years of ops experience from large multinational corporations like Coke and Pepsi. He's been the VP of operations at Milk Bar, helped grow watermelon water. He's now the president and founder of Armatura Company and just loves using his years of experience to support young brands as they're just being molded. I think it's really important that you surround yourself with people that have been around before in the CPG space, in every capacity, certainly operations for sure, but in every capacity from from an advisement point of view. He builds operational frameworks for growth, and he's going to walk us through some ways of thinking through operations, Ops 101. Welcome, John Shiroli. Thank you. Yeah, John, thank you so much for being here. What do you love about Ops? Sure. Thanks for the invite. Happy to be here chatting. So I've been in the consumer packaged goods industry my entire professional career in all aspects of operations, which is a big umbrella. And it's just been a really fun journey as I've done things that involve purchasing and supply chain, cost of goods management and contract manufacturing, all buzzwords that most entrepreneurs probably have heard, maybe know a lot about, maybe know nothing about. And I've been fortunate to learn it from some of the biggest brands in the world and some of the smallest brands as well. So Coke and Pepsi, all the way down to small little $100,000 businesses. Mm -hmm. It's been a fun journey where I started my own outsourced operations agency. And so I'm the founder and president of Armatura Company, and we are your outsourced operations team. So we, we run the operations, we build the strategy around your operations, and we are your, your outsourced staff to do that. That's what I'm doing now. I'm just really passionate about helping. And I love young brands. I love entrepreneurs. And I love seeing what they've created that people want, helping them actually bring it to life in a bigger way. And that's just, that's what I do. And it's fun. I'm curious, what does Armaturo mean? Why did you call your business that? It's interesting. Uh, I appreciate you asking that. So it's an Italian word. And it, it technically translates as a framework used by a sculptor to, to support a figure that's being modeled. And, you know, when I think about young emerging brands, that's kind of where they're at. You know, they're at a point where, sure, they may have something that tastes good, smells good, feels good. Maybe some people want it. Maybe they've got an Instagram account, but the companies and the brand is still being molded, right? And there, there needs to be some kind of framework behind mm-hmm. what is going to be built on top of, of that. So that's where the name comes from. And that's what it means. That's great. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. Do you speak Italian? I used to speak more Italian uh, <laughs> when I was younger. It is like riding a bike, though, because I went to Italy a couple of years back for, for a few weeks. And by the end of it, I was near fluent again. But uh, I don't speak it on the regular. Got it. 
And you also said that you love supporting young brands. It sounds like it's because your your skill set is supporting this this process of taking a bulk of high quality clay that has a lot of promise and turning it into a beautiful sculpture. Can you tell us a bit more about what you love about working with startups and high growth companies? In in the same breath, some of it is both the most exciting and the most frustrating. Uh, and what I mean by that is. You know, there's a saying, you don't know what you don't know. And not that I know everything, mm-hmm. but there's definitely super smart entrepreneurs that I've worked with that don't know what they don't know. So sometimes having to explain to them why operations, and I don't just mean manufacturing, because that's a piece of it, right? Operations has a lot to do with strategy and long-term and stability and growth models, as well as all the you know make my thing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. What's exciting is taking a look into into what's inside the entrepreneur's head, what their vision is, and trying to help them understand what a path looks like to bring that vision to life. And when I say sometimes it's frustrating, it's challenging at times, depending upon the background of the entrepreneur, where they stem from, for them to latch on to that. Because operations, supply chain, all of those, those back-end structural supportive parts of the business they're not top line revenue generating, right? They're not outselling, they're not outdoing, bringing, bringing money in the bank on a, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. But without them, you won't be able to do those top line revenue generating things. So it, that's why I say it's, it's really exciting to be able to work with young, young brands to help them identify what they're going to need as a framework for growth. But at times it's frustrating because it's you don't know what you don't know, right? So sometimes the selling in of why you need to have a strategy or why you need to have a team or why you need to have certain tools in place are so important because sometimes it's hard to stomach that you need to spend money on something that doesn't generate ink, doesn't generate revenue. So it's it's both exciting and frustrating. But at the end of the day, it winds up net net being super exciting because I get to see these these small sparkles of ideas at times blossom into something massive. And it's pretty awesome. That does sound fun. So you said ops is not just manufacturing. And that's sometimes something new that you're explaining to entrepreneurs for the first time. Can you tell us what ops is? What does it encompass? A lot of times when I have conversations with, uh, with young brands or potential clients, they said, well, you handle just the operations. And I said, well, well yeah, we do handle just the operations. But saying you work in operations is like saying you work in marketing, right? There's so many facets of marketing, but it's this big umbrella. Operations is not, is no different. It's just different functions. Uh, so operations clearly is manufacturing in some form or fashion, especially in the food and beverage business, right? You need to, you need to buy stuff. You need to make stuff. Uh, and there needs to be manufacturing for that. But it's a huge part of the supply chain that that both be, begins and ends with sales and marketing. So everything from strategic sourcing to make your beverage, your snack, contract manufacturing sourcing, uh, food safety and quality, having the right inventory control process and tools in place, having a strategic uh, operating plan and a roadmap to what is your cost of working capital. And what are you going to need from a cash expenditure in a month-to-month, quarter-to-quarter, year-to-year as you grow this business? All of the things that go into the backbone of running the actual business, that, you know, that's up, everything I mentioned up until including 
customer service and logistics. So sales goes out and sells something. Well, it's got to get there somehow, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's already manufactured in theory. So that means someone's got to take the order, process the order, invoice the order, ship the order. All of this is operations. Manufacturing is a piece of it for sure, but it's 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 much broader than that. And as company as brands grow. That the that department needs to continue to grow. The acumen there needs to continue to grow. The tools, the systems need to continue to grow, so you can have an efficient business. Sure, and your your company does all of it, right? You kind of meet entrepreneurs where they're at. We do, and there, you know, every every brand we work with is at a different stage, right? So, um, typically, the earlier the better. It's both good and bad, but because sometimes when it's so early, they, they don't realize the road ahead and sometimes they rethink it, but that's okay. You know, we try to be honest and say, hey, here's what you're up against. Uh, we like to be honest and say, this, here's what it's going to take uh, holistically, even outside of operations, just because, you know, we've been around long enough to know from an operations, sales and manufacturing point of view and marketing point of view, if you have an idea, here's some things to consider. Uh, but yes, we mm-hmm. meet, we meet brands at whatever point they're at and support them for our, however long is needed. And every brand is, has a custom need. There's there's some synergies across all the brands, but everyone's at a different stage, so that they have different requirements. You said the earlier the better. Is there such thing as too early to come to start thinking about operations? I would say, and maybe I'm biased because of my because of my, my background and my, my business. But I would say you have to think about it from day one. If you've got, you want to make a new cookie. Like I have the best cookie recipe in the world. Great. Well, if you want to bring that to the world, you probably can't do it in your kitchen. So by default, you already need to figure out how am I going to operationalize this? How am I going to manufacture it and recreate this grandma's recipe Am I going to recreate that in a mass scale? And then you start going down the, what is it going to cost to do? How am I going to order stuff? You're dealing with ingredients that have shelf life, like butter and eggs. You you can't buy six years worth of eggs just because you get a good price on, they're going to go bad. So all all of these things are operations in in nature that need to be considered a little bit at, at all times. And, and as I mentioned, just as the clients grow and we grow with them, their needs change. Same thing from inception. It's no different. Yeah, for sure. What is the most important thing to start thinking about from day one? When do you start bringing an operations person on? Again, some of it does depend upon the background of the of the founder. You know, some founders may have an operations background and they can do a lot of the heavy lifting for a while. But what I would say is important if if you're a founder, let's say you're a founder that has a background in nothing related to anything consumer packaged goods related, except maybe you're amazing at social media. Let's just say so that sometimes that's the case. I think it's really important that you surround yourself with people that have uh, have been around before in the CPG space. In every capacity, certainly operations for sure, but in every capacity from from an advisement point of view, because they're going to mm-hmm. share with you, here's some of the things you need to start considering and working on. And at that point, 
in my opinion, they need to start taking a look at themselves internally and saying, you know what, I don't know how to do these things. The good entrepreneurs admit they don't know how to do it. They ask for help and they they hire advisors. I mean, I, I'm, I happen to be an advisor to some amazing, amazing entrepreneurs. And they're so smart because they, when they don't know something, they ask for help and then they internalize it and make it their own. So I would say that's critically important. Admit what you don't know and ask for help. Surround yourself with people that have done it, even before hiring them. Just this industry, most people want to help you. Hmm. Yeah, we see that a lot, especially at Startup CPG. It's all people volunteering information and support. Everyone wants to see other people succeed. It's great. Absolutely. What's most often forgotten about with operations? The thing that I see that is either forgotten or challenging to stick to the plan or the strategy is, mm. is understanding your, your gross margins and your cost of goods. Doing that exercise early in, I think we talked about this when, that was when we had one of, the, uh, one of the Zoom happy hours, was that you know, if you're starting out from scratch, you have to know how to make grandma's cookie in a manufacturing environment. Do the work, right? Have an understanding of how much is this going to cost at a retail shelf? And then figuring out, working your way backwards to where do you need your cost of goods to be? And if your cost of goods aren't where they need to be, that may be okay in the beginning. But the next part is the critical part that I see missing often. Figure out what it will take to get to where you know you need to be from a cost of goods gross margin point of view. Do the exercise Talk with suppliers, talk about quantities, figure figure all that out. Because what I've seen more times than I care to admit is brands often say, I'm not going to worry about my costs because when we get big and we and we scale, it'll just get better. Mm. That's not really true. I mean, it happens sometimes. It's like saying, Well, we don't really get along, but when we get married, it's going to get better. <laughs> right? It's it's the roots are still bad. And that's the same thing. So do, do the exercise in understanding how to run your business, what your cost of goods are, your gross margins are, and have the line of sight and visibility into when those gross margins get to where you, you need them to be for your business to flourish. Because once you know that, then you can build a plan getting there from a sales strategy point of view all the way through you know your, your marketing plan, et cetera. But if, if you can never... At any scale, get your cost of goods to a place where you are making money. All the money in the world is not going to fix it. And I see that so many times. And I've taken I've taken roles as acting COOs of company and I've looked into the details and I've actually told these companies, I think you need to close your business or completely change it because the way it's running today there is not enough money in the world to make this profitable. Wow. It's it's hard it's hard to believe that. Do the work early. I can't stress it enough. Figure out at what point do you think you can get your gross margins correct? You know, John, it is hard to believe and I'm wondering what what goes wrong? On our phone call the other day when we were talking about doing an episode together, you said there's not much that's different from 
CPG company to CPG company. There's a lot that's the same. You're not reinventing the wheel. Um, So what goes wrong? In my opinion, in my experience, it's the excitement of it all. And I'm not smart enough to, to create a brand. I'm just not. And to create something from nothing that people want to buy, that's that's not what I do. Although I could argue I probably could. But that's the hard part. The hard part is creating that thing. And founders, are whether they have a technical background, a financial background, a marketing background, an operations background, there's a creative part of that person you know, in their DNA because they want to create something. And often when you like to create, you like to continue to create. And you, you like to do things that uh, people want. And that often means it's hard to say no sometimes. Mm. Because of that, as I've seen brands go through their evolution, um, they have a hard time saying no when it goes against strategy because it's, you know, it's, it's this shiny object in the room syndrome. You know, if the strategy is to be focusing, I'm going to use a really simple example. If you're a brand, a, a brand that's selling water right, or whatever, whatever beverage, right. And you're a New York based brand and your strategy is to build the Northeast and you're doing a great job. You're crushing it in New York. You're starting to crush it in, in New Jersey, coming into Connecticut. And then all of a sudden you get a phone call from a company in the Pacific Northwest that has five stores. And they said, we really want to sell your product. You don't want to say no as a brand. It's hard to say, no, mm-hmm. but the right thing at that stage of the game is to say no. And when I tell brands that they say, well, but what, what happens? We've lost the sale. And my experience, and I've seen it with companies that I've worked for companies that I've advised companies that are owned by people I became friends with. Everybody wants to be part of a winner. Once you have proven a winning success story in a region with a retailer, it is so much easier to sell your product to another retailer in another region when the time is right. But if you take your eye off building a territory, if that's your strategy, any focus that's taken away to do something that is the shiny object in the the corner doesn't help you continue to own your backyard. It's hard to say no. It really is hard to say no. And I'll I'll end that particular comment with, Going national sounds like a great idea. Aside from it taking a S ton of money to do it, uh, I've been fortunate to work for two of the largest beverage companies in the world, and they do national launches all the time. And guess what? They screw them up too (laughs) because it's hard, but they can afford to make a $100 million mistake. A young brand will go bankrupt, and then they're out of business. So, you know, going at it slow, having visibility into your cost of goods and gross margin to know when you become profitable. I can't love that strategy enough. And it, it's proven to have worked. You know, John Shiroli didn't invent it. I could give you 10 brands that have done it and many more. Raising money is a whole different thing. You know, people think, well, I'll raise money. It's fine. All raising money is meant to do is to fuel the infrastructure operationally, sales and marketing. It's to fuel that infrastructure for growth. It's not to fix mistakes. That makes sense. <laughs> we also talked about there's different aspects of operations. What are all of the different things that 
people should be thinking about all the different operations outside of manufacturing? Sure. Uh, In no particular order, something really important is inventory control. And what does that mean? What that means is knowing how much you have of everything you've purchased and where it is. And it couldn't be more basic. So if you're a if you're a, a peanut butter and jelly manufacturing company, right? You probably buy peanut butter. You probably buy jelly. You probably buy bread, right? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how many of each of those things do you have physically? Where are they? And, you know, if they have an expiration date, do you have it documented? How much I have? Where is it when it expires? What's the value of that, the, the actual dollar value of the things that I own? And I always start with that with every client and everywhere I've ever worked, because if you don't have a good regimen around just knowing where your stuff is, then you're probably not disciplined elsewhere in the business because it doesn't get more basic than where's my shoes, right? Like where, where did I leave my shoes? You know, Mm -hmm. you should know where you left your shoes. So where's my stuff? How many do I have? Where is it? How much is on my books for super basic, but couldn't be more important. Um, it's, in my opinion, it is the backbone in building a supply chain. There's obviously, you know, your, your purchasing aspects of the business. So you have to buy stuff. Uh, again, you know, documenting what you're buying. When is it due to come in? Having some, and I've seen it and I've done it, fortunately, I've seen it so many different ways. It does not have to be an exciting system. It could be an Excel sheet or a Google sheet. Just documenting what you bought, from who, at what cost, when are they shipping it to you, just to keep track of it. So, you know, purchasing is a big piece of things. Inventory control is a big piece of things. They're early in, you know, the contract manufacturing piece of it is is a big part, unless you happen to be able to do self-manufacturing. But in most cases, I haven't, I haven't seen that. Um, those are important and understanding your financials. Those are the critical things from ground zero, in my opinion. It's interesting how much operations overlaps with finances. That's kind of the whole point. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I don't know if the term supply chain means anything to you if you heard it. Supply chain is, I would say, since the pandemic, supply chain probably became a more popular word in the world. When people couldn't get their toilet paper, the supply chain was broken. Mm-hmm. You know, it's supply chain is not a function of operations. If if you think about the word, it's the chain of supply. So there's demand, which comes from sales. Then there's the supply, which comes from manufacturing, which is operations. And then there's the awareness, which comes from 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 marketing. Right. So that's the chain. Someone brags about it. Someone sells it. Someone needs to deliver it. Operations is is a is a piece of the chain that runs the entire business. Not that the other parts aren't important. They all have to work in concert. What are some of the most fun parts of working on operations for you? There's a small piece of me that has that has a love for for uh, for being creative a bit. And I would say what I love to see over and over again is when something hits a shelf for the first time, or something's being manufactured for the first time, or there's that first there's that first time where something went from a concept stage and was manufactured um, in a larger scale and 
the entrepreneur or the founder cannot believe how how good their product tastes and they had nothing to do with it physically had nothing to do with it clearly they were involved mm-hmm. but you know just, just seeing seeing their beverage on the shelf for the first time their package in a refrigerator or, or a check lane seeing all the work come to life is exciting yeah for sure what are some new processes or new technologies or just new things happening in operations? What do you keep your finger on the pulse of? I mean, there, there's two things that, I, that I'm always keeping an eye on. I mean, there's we live in a very tech-driven world. I would say that the, the tools that are available to run the business, to make it more efficient, are, are things that I'm always keeping an eye on. And it's not because the tools do anything different. I mean, in the scheme of things, business has not changed forever, you know, especially manufacturing and selling manufactured goods. You buy stuff, you make stuff, you sell stuff, you build for the stuff. That hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is the tools to be able to do that. But keep an eye on that as far as technology, what's, you know, what tools are free, what tools are easy to use, um, et cetera. Do you have a few favorite tools? It depends on the stage of the company. You know, I, I would say up until up into fifty million dollars in revenue, I really like QuickBooks. You know, it's it, there's a version of QuickBooks that is very robust and can do just about everything you need. You think QuickBooks is great for companies under a certain amount in revenue? Yeah, starting out, it's expandable. You can grow with it. It's good from zero to. I would argue up to 40, 50 million in revenue, which is a lot of revenue. Yeah. You know, it's pretty robust. There's great inventory management systems. One that comes to mind, which is very compatible with with QuickBooks is called Fishbowl. And it's exactly what it sounds like. You know, like a fishbowl where you have your goldfish. Um, that's that's a really good one. Google Suite is is a great place to get started. It's really cheap. It doesn't, it's up to you to be organized in it. But it's it's a great collaborative tool just to get started. You know, it's it's easy to spend money on things that people tell you are going to make you leaner, going to make you faster, going to make you more organized. If you're not organized without tools, the tools don't make you more organized. They just exacerbate how unorganized you are. Be diligent about being organized. The tools are only going to help you do it better. That makes sense. What's your favorite thing to teach in operations? What are you most excited to share um, with people? That's a great question. I, you know what what I love what I love teaching is the simplicity of this business. And when I even make that statement, people look at me like I'm crazy. And <laughs> I, because I'm not saying it's easy because it's not easy. It takes a lot of takes a lot of drive. Takes a lot of tenacity. Takes a lot of adaptation. Uh, it takes a lot of hearing no a lot. You know, that's that's not easy and that's not for everyone. But I love to teach and share with young brands, not necessarily young entrepreneurs, because sometimes they're old like me. It doesn't need to be as complicated as you think. Don't recreate the wheel, even though we, as folks in the CPG space, feel like we want to just because. And it's okay to do things a little different. That's what keeps the industry thriving, right? On stuff that's different, new and exciting. But sometimes you have to think about how different do you want to be? And I, you know, I often use the 
when it comes to an innovation, I have this simplistic conversation, you know, with with uh, with young brands. You know, what do you think the best selling flavor of ice cream is? And they they all know the answer. It's vanilla, vanilla, chocolate, cookies, and cream. So if you want to sell ice cream and be innovative in selling ice cream, just sell a better vanilla. Mm-hmm. People understand what vanilla is. If you're going to have an ashwagandha flavored ice cream, you're going to have to spend so much time, money, and resources to explain to a consumer who literally is giving you 10 seconds on a shelf or three seconds on an Instagram post why they need to try this exotic flavor that they have never heard of. But if you say we've got the best vanilla you've ever had in your life, people are going to try that because they know what vanilla tastes like. And why wouldn't they give it a shot? So what I'm getting at is that I love to educate brands on how, how simple this really is. And if they can stay focused on what their product offerings are, if they can make them easy to understand, if they have the visibility into the economics where their, their cost of goods and gross margin potential goes the right way, they've got a shot. They've got a shot at making it work. If they're missing some of that stuff, it still might work, but it's going to be a lot harder. At Startup CPG, all of the brands are creating products that they believe are better for people and better for the planet. And I'm curious, in operations that really hasn't changed that much over the past few years, where is there room for improvement? I would say that the the operations side of things, um, I actually will speak to manufacturing a little bit specifically. There's clearly a has been a huge, huge transition in the food and beverage space into plant-based, plant-based products in every category, beverages, meats, cheeses, what have you. So it's a big movement. And a lot of the young brands are, are in that space um, for, for good reasons. And because of those demands, manufacturing has had to adapt. You know, you think about you think about the plant-based alternative meats of the world, uh, beyond meat and the like. You think about oatly, oat milk. You think about things like that, that that never existed before. And while they are arguably in some respects better for the planet, better for our bodies, better for us as social entrepreneurs of the world, you have to figure out how to bring that to life. So manufacturing has had to adapt to figure out how to do that. Because the same way you, you put cow's milk in a, in a homogenizer and put in a package is very, very different than taking oats from a field and figuring out how to extract the deliciousness and the nutrition that's in those oats. It's, it's very different. Um, so, so manufacturers had to adapt for sure. Uh, that being said, if you think about the, those two categories I mentioned, they're huge categories and most people have heard of both of those brands. If you think about it, they're not selling anything dramatically different in some respects. Meaning, Oatly didn't invent milk. They're just giving you a better milk, right? You know, Beyond Meat didn't invent the hamburger. They're just giving you a better alternative to it, you know, which is mm-hmm. a vanilla ice cream comment, right? Just make a better vanilla. And that's really what, what a lot of the smart, in my opinion, smart and successful brands are doing is they're, they're just giving you an alternative to something that, that we as consumers are already accustomed to and telling you why 
their version, while not dramatically different necessarily in taste, why it's better for you. So that's, you know, seem, I would say manufacturing has, to has had to adapt more to the trends that, that young brands are bringing. But the brands that I believe that do really, really well are the ones that are, are not so far away from what the consumer understands because it, it takes a lot to convince that when something's totally new. For sure. Yeah, I'm thinking a little bit about the non-alcoholic space and seeing what has been successful and what's not and, and how the messaging is is about what people already know. Yeah, and there's a lot happening in that space right now. I think young brands are doing doing a great job of making the traditional cocktail better for you by taking out the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Still giving you the experience, still giving you the same flavor, right? So while yes, it's in it's it's could you argue it's disruptive? Maybe. <laughs> but a gin and tonic without the alcohol that tastes like a gin and tonic. That founder didn't invent the gin and tonic. They just invented a better way to deliver it to you that didn't dehydrate your body by consuming alcohol. Or if you had a personal issue with alcohol, now you don't have an issue. You can still enjoy that beverage. Sure. Are there things we we should definitely make sure to cover in this podcast that we haven't yet? Something that comes to mind that I often share, and this is, this is a hard one, and we touched on it a little bit. It's okay as a as a new brand, it's, it's okay to ask for help. Don't be scared to ask for help. Startup CPG is a great example of it, like, like you mentioned. As people get longer in their career, like myself, and this doesn't go for everyone, but it's definitely been my experience. You know, part, part of my personal success has always been asking for help. And I've been fortunate enough to ask folks who have already done it, made the mistakes, made the successes. I can't stress it enough. Ask for help. Yeah, it's it. It doesn't cost you anything to ask. If somebody says nothing in in response, then so what? I believe in karma, right? So it's okay to ask. We've talked about this already, but I can't stress it enough. Know your numbers. Knowing your numbers around financials and gross margins is the most critical thing. What I'll I'll add to that is most young brands will probably go through some type of fundraising whether that's friends and family, angels, invest, angel investors, venture capital groups, whatever the case may be. What, what investors get excited about is the fact that you as a founder know your business cold. You know your numbers, you know your gross margin, you know what it's going to take to scale the business, you understand your customer, you have yourself surrounded by a team, even if they're advisors, they don't have to be on your payroll. A team that has been there, done it, knows it. That's the magic. Because you could almost put any brand together with the right set of people. And as long as it's not something outlandish, they'll make it, they'll probably make it work. Always remember that investors invest in people. Yes, they may like the brand, but if the people that are behind it running it stink, they're not going to put their money into it. So know your business cold and surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and don't be ashamed of it. How do you choose the brands to support? How do you figure out the ideas? If someone comes to you with just an idea, how do you decide, oh, I'm going to support this growth? Sure. Great question. There's a couple of things that come into mind figuring out how we're going to work with someone. First, 
does it fit into our, our wheelhouse? You know, if someone says that they want to come and launch some new tech thing, well, that's, that's not our thing. And we get asked it all the time. So we, we respectfully decline and, and try to help them out. So it's got to, it's, it doesn't have the cookie cutter fit into our space, but we're, we're food and beverage team. So food and beverage, mm-hmm. that's our sweet spot. Number one, number two, on the, on the first calls that we have with founders or teams, we like to choose the brands that are willing to listen. I know that sounds silly. There's times where even if we're not right, brands are not interested in someone else's opinion. And we know that if that's the case on their first phone call, it's never going to be a successful relationship because our, our clients are, it's a relationship. We're going to have good times together. We're going to have bad times together. They're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. That's okay. Um, if you can't work with one another in a way that you're willing to listen to the other party in a first phone call, that's usually an indicator that it's, it's not going to be a great relationship. So that's that's a big piece of it as well. Um, another part of it, this is me being selfish a little bit. I love to love the product. So if the product is something that I happen to really like, that's delicious and good for you and packaging's fun and the, the concept around the branding is exciting. We like to get behind that because it's fun. And um, that, that plays a role in it too. We also want take a look at brands that do have a financial plan, a fundraising plan, because I, whoever winds up listening to this podcast is in some way related to Startup CPG, has started a brand, has worked for startup brands, wants to start a brand. There's no two ways about it. This is not an inexpensive hobby. Mm-hmm. in the spirit of being a business, because we're in business to be in business selfishly, we want to make sure that not that, not so much that we're going to get paid, but that the brand has enough financial health to make it. You know, we, we know we're going to get paid because we're going to deliver on whatever we promise. But if the brand only has enough runway to get six months because of what they have for their financial backing, we've walked away from clients because... We knew they were going to spend everything that they had, and it wasn't going to be enough to get them on the shelf. We try to ask those questions early on. And what's your your funding strategy? Some people can fund it for millions of dollars on their own, and that's cool. Some can't. So that's a really important question. So do we like the brand and the product? Are the finances there for their for their growth? And uh, do we feel they're willing to listen? We learn from them; they learn from us. But if that's that's not a two-way street. We, we can tell early early on, and uh, those those aren't the right partners for us. Yeah, makes sense. Operations is also a lot about partnerships. Absolutely. John, thank you so much for your insight. My pleasure. It's been really exciting uh, to chat with you about it. My hope is that if there's, there was one thing over this hour that someone can take and use. That's That makes me excited. So really appreciate you having me. Of course. Now, John, if people want to connect with you, how do they find you? Sure. So they could connect with me through our website, which is armaturaco.com, A-R-M-A-T-U-R-C-O.com. Happy to connect with folks on LinkedIn. So if they want to look me up on LinkedIn, that's fine too. You know, a couple of other social channels, you can find Armatura company. So any of those ways are fine. And you're also active on our Slack channel. I'm also active on your Slack channel. That is for certain. Happy to help any way I can. Thank you, John. 
My pleasure. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. If you like what you heard and you're interested in learning more, sign up for our newsletter at startupcpg.com. Our newsletter lists all of our events. You can get involved by joining a Zoom happy hour. And we also share industry insights from the Startup CPG community. So you can learn more at startupcpg.com. We definitely want to have you involved. We have an active online community and these networking events are really fun. So perhaps you're even our next podcast guest.